0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. If you have a Bible, if you're going to use your phone, we're going to be in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John is in the New Testament. Uh, if you go to the New Testament, it begins with four books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are basically the stories of, and the story of Jesus. So this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. And I'm going to begin our time with a thought. I think some of us, I think maybe most of us will remember an actor. His name's Mel Gibson. Here's a picture of Mel Gibson. anybody anybody remember Mel Gibson? No, it's not like he did movies, a lot, a lot, a lot of movies. He uh, uh, did uh, a Braveheart. Here's a picture of him in Braveheart. You remember Braveheart? These are older movies. He was also responsible for. Uh, I don't have a picture to put up, but The Passion of the Christ. Pretty popular, well-known uh, actor and producer and that kind of a guy. Well, you may have heard the story that in in 2006, he was arrested for DUI, and he became agitated during the uh, arrest, and he ended up uh, sharing, shouting some anti-Jewish slurs and comments. Anybody remember when that hit the news? Nobody? A few? Anyway, long story short, the the uh, his comments and mess went really, really public, and uh, how many... Uh, Mel Gibson movies have you seen since 2006? Virtually none. Uh, I did, s- and, and the reason I bring that up was I was reading an article about a newer term, uh, and it's called cancel culture. Anybody heard the term cancel culture? Um, And in the article, it was describing one of the early examples of cancel culture. Basically, if if you've never heard of cancel culture, totally okay, because we're going to put a definition up on the screen. It's the idea of taking away support for an individual, their career, popularity, and or fame because of something they've, here we go, something they've said or done that's considered unacceptable. And therefore, we they we cancel them. Another definition of cancel, because this is just a newer term and it's kind of developing. It's a movement to, re- to remove celebrity status or esteem from a person, place, or thing based on offensive behavior. Or a transgression. Now that's getting pretty close to a Bible word, sin. So if I were to sum up this idea, it's something like this. I've seen your sin and I'm done with you. Cancel culture. A couple thoughts from that. I would submit to you that it's not really, it's not a new thing. We tend to, a bunch of humanity fa- tends fairly quickly to when we see someone's sin, it's easy for us to say, we're done with you. I was in a quick mark the other day. My wife, who's sweet as sugar, uh, we, we stopped in to get one of the best drinks ever. It's called Diet Coke. Maybe you've heard of it. Anyway, we stopped in to get a Diet Coke. And we went to the little the, the pop dispenser there. And they were out of, they had still had one cup down here, but they were out of most of the cups, and they didn't have a 32-ounce. And I mean, if you're going to get one, you got to get a 32-ounce. And so my wife, really, she said to this... Uh, quick mark dude that we were the only ones in the whole place quick mark guy was sitting on a stool behind this little counter and she said excuse me do you have any more of the 32 ounce cups and quick mark dude just didn't have a great attitude he yes he got off of his almighty stool and came, you know, came around. I don't know, and he, he just had this thing, you know, looked through some cupboards and then he found. Didn't smile the whole time, and then he found, you know, some and put them in. And you know, I think at one point he actually rolled his eyes as he went back in the thing. And and so uh, we ended up getting our uh, our thirty-two ounce Diet Coke. But I remember. As I left, and I may have said it out loud, I will never go into that place again because I am done with Quick Mart, Dude. And if I didn't say it then, I still remember probably a week later when I was driving and I, the little Quick Mart place was over there, and I thought, oh, I'll stop in and get a Diet Coke. Oh, no, I will not because maybe Quick Mart, Dude was in there. Anybody ever, none of you have ever felt that way, but it is so easy, like one thing, to just cancel, quick mark guy. So the, the first idea, you know, is it's not really a new thing. We struggle with it. If you need a biblical example, the disciples, followers of Jesus, Matthew 18, Peter asks Jesus, he says, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me. And he says, up to seven times. It's the first time I thought of it this way. But I don't, he's not saying, how many times do I get to forgive? He's how many, I think the tone is, how many times do I have to? And, And underlying it, you could maybe even paraphrase it, is he's basically saying, when do I get to quit forgiving them? Does that, doesn't it feel that way? So this cancel culture, this forgetting about people when they sin, oh I'm done with you, it's not really a new thing. The other thing is it's not really a God thing. God's not into it. Jesus' answer, when Peter asked the question, you know, up to seven times, Jesus' answer was this. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Oh. Jesus' commitment to the, sti- to, to the disciples, I think, is noteworthy. God is not a, I'm quick to cancel you, God. Uh, next verse, the Bible teaches that God has said, get a load of this, for those following God, submitted to Jesus Christ, forgiven for their sin, he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If you want some more on the fact that God's not a quick-to-cancel God, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is describing the love of God, the patience of God. It's also describing how we're supposed to love each other. And it says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not dishonor others. It's not easily angered. And it keeps, get a load of this. No. Everybody say no. See, you won't even say it because you can't believe it. No. Like no. It, love keeps no record of wrongs. You've got to be kidding me. No record of wrongs. That does not sound, it actually sounds kind of like the opposite of a cancel culture men. So hold those thoughts. We're in this series called "Jesus, Friend of Sinners." We're studying the book of John. We're exploring how God's, uh, how God is wired. His heart is for messed up people, and we're also challenging ourselves to be more like God. And tonight we're going to look at a story where a woman is caught in a sin, and it it goes public. So, you know, they didn't have social media back then. But you could argue, it kind of goes viral. There's a whole group of people jumping on the bandwagon about how bad she is. And then they bring her to Jesus with a question. And the question is not, can we cancel her? But the question is basically, can we kill her? So, I think in my Bible, the section is called, "A, A Woman Caught in Adultery. But we're in John... And I'm in Matthew, which makes it really hard to read John 8. There, okay, now we're closer. Here's what it says. In John 8, verse 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So picture this. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Now some of you may not know this idea of stoning that has nothing to do with smoking pot. Some of you are like, oh man, I was really starting to like the Bible. No. It it has to do with corporal is that what they call a corporal punishment where they would put somebody and they would pick up as big a stones as they could and they would basically pummel them to death under a pile of rocks. So that's what they're they're like. It's way worse than Smoking pot. Okay. I shouldn't have said that last thing. In the law, Jesus command, where we have, in the law, Jesus command to stone such women, to kill such women. Now what do you say? Let's go to the second half of verse 6. It says, But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The title of the talk is Judgment Turned Upside Down. And I basically want to explore how Jesus took this volatile, judgy situation and turned it into something that's filled with grace. It, it if you think about this, it helped these men not have in their past those memories and thoughts of right of killing somebody. It saved this woman's life from death and arguably gave her an opportunity for a new start. How in the world does Jesus do that? And the application, right? The application for us is I think I think we live in a world that is not so different than this. We're, we tend to be really judgy. Uh, we tend to gang up. We tend, does, that, does this feel like, we're a lot li- li- like this. And so I wonder, I do believe that God's probably looking down and say, come on followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, let's act differently. Let's try to do, bring something better into the situation. So let's pause and pray. I think there'll be some takeaways for us. God, I, at least for me personally, I need help with this. I think we need help as a culture. And I stand amazed at how awesome, Jesus, you are at taking horrible situations and turning them towards something way better. So will you give us some tools to be more like you today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's two ideas here on how Jesus transformed a judgmental moment. The first idea is this, he transformed a judgmental moment by, here you can write this down, utilizing a strategic pause. Utilizing a strategic pause. This is the the like verse 5 and 6. Where there's momentum here, group of of men, probably all men, coming toward him. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Probably be a pretty high energy, confrontive moment. In verse 6, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. You know? Ra 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 what do you say, Jesus? Oh, look at him, you know, sinner woman. Rah, 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 rah. I picture him going, hmm. I don't know what he was doing, but like deflating the situation. And it, there, by the way, there's fun thoughts. We have no idea what Jesus did, what, what he was writing on the ground. But well, it says he was writing on the ground. One of the fun thoughts is maybe he was. Uh, writing, for example, uh, uh, the names of the mistresses of any guys that were in the group. You know, wouldn't that have been something if you're like, yeah, we should kill her because she committed adultery. And he like is writing in the sand like, Veronica. (laughs) And then he looks up and or, or another guy in the group, we're just making this up, but another guy in the group might might say, who's Veronica? And then, I don't know. Hey, we're just friends. I, don't, be, don't be putting that on, right? But who knows what he was doing. Could have been strategic with some of the things. My own take on it, on the writing in the sand, is I think... Uh, because Jesus was fully man. He knows what it was like to be like us and be tempted and, know, and try to discern. God, how do I get through this? I think he may have been buying time and praying to the Father like, Lord, this really matters. I want to do the right thing. This woman's life is in danger. Holy Spirit, Father, what do I do? Like that's what I think he was doing. I think he was just doodling and saying, God, I want to do the right thing. We don't know. Uh, But what we do know, I would say, is there is a natural, observable power in a in a pause when judgment is running, is escalating. It's just, it's a breath. Like, take a breath, everybody. And it it provoked a question for me, I'm gonna give it to you, ready? Have you ever been silenced by silence? Goes something like this. You find out that Bill Bill and Susan are breaking up or something. And it's easy to jump on the critical bandwagon, the gossip bandwagon, the judgment bandwagon. So you know Susan's breaking up with Bill. Well, of course she is, because he was such a turd anyway. Well, everybody knows. You know how he—he's mean and rah right, rah right, right. He's got a drinking—he's got a drinking problem, and his hair. Have you ever seen his hair? I mean, he, guys, he's such a his hair's totally. You know how you can—you know how people get all into that thing, and. And then, have you ever been doing that and someone will just not join in? Or, only a couple times I've seen this, they'll just be quiet and they'll just like look at you maybe and go... And eventually you go, aren't you going to jump on the band, right? And you know what happens? I well, This is a theory. I think there are times... That our silence and our pause creates gaps for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction into other people's lives. That's what I think. I've experienced it. Here's an idea. This is fill in the blank. A pause can change the momentum of a bad direction. A pause... Silence, take a breath, can change the momentum of a bad direction. By the way, if you don't know this, this is observable in Jesus' life, one of his strategies in life, regularly, every once in a while, he'd just be silent. People would come and say, answer the question, or blah, 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 and it would just record, he's just Quiet. In Matthew 27, there are groups of people accusing Jesus. This is when they're going to ultimately kill him on the cross. And one of the leaders named Pilate, because they just are accusing and accusing and accusing. And Pilate says, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you, Jesus? Don't you hear what they're saying? It says, but Jesus made no reply. Is that in you? Is that in me? You want to grow up spiritually, work the muscle every once in a while where no matter what is going on, you have the muscle, the spiritual discipline to make no reply. That's hard, but can be super effective. And it goes on to say about that, that Pilate, it says, to the great amazement of the governor. Like, wow, who is this guy? If you want to amaze your friends and neighbors, learn how to be quiet sometimes. Proverbs 26.20 says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Boy, those are important principles. I don't know that they're easy to do, but they would sure help our world. And for a lot of us, they'd sure help our life. They'd help our families. So to bring this in the room, I think you know this already. When was the last time I strategically kept quiet? When was the last time I strategically just kept quiet? And before we move on, I, I this afternoon I felt like, that this, that this idea might be helpful for maybe for some specific people in the room. If you are in a situation or have been in situations where you have been under attack uh, regularly or now, you've made mistakes. By the way, you have made mistakes. This woman had committed adultery, okay? But you're under attack because of it. People are tent, you know, there's a group of people being really judgy. What I wanna say to you is run to seek out Jesus Christ. Because he is not part of that group. And my guess is he will, minim- he will have this healthy, what is it? Peaceful, pause. He, not like any, he is not like humanity, folks. He's just not. Great place to run if the world's beating you up. So Jesus transformed a judgmental moment by utilizing a strategic pause. The second thing is he transformed a judgmental moment by underscoring what I'm going to call, I couldn't find a great word, the universalness of sin. And what I mean by that, just the commonality of sin, the fact that we all have our own sin. We're going to get to the text where he's going to ask a great question and we think like the group all realizes, oh, wait a minute. We all have our own sin to deal with, but before we get there, I thought maybe we could admit as human beings, for most of us, maybe all of us, we're not great at acknowledging our own sin. It's easy for us to see and identify others, but we're not great at acknowledging our own sin. I think maybe it's even easy or enjoyable to identify other sin, but but our own, we don't notice it as much. Silly example. I'm driving on a uh, expressway, highway, speed limit I think was 70. And uh, traffic was going along beyond 70. And, and this is happening before, like a, and, and a person going like 93 will go past. Have you met, have you seen those? Have you met those people? Not for long, because they're on. And then you drive another eight minutes, and then you come over the crest of a hill, and, the little, and there's the police lights. And I don't know about you, this may just be how corrupt I am, but I'm like, ha-ha, I got gotcha. But the whole time, I am breaking the same law that they are. Now, some of you don't get it because you think you're not. But you are. Oh, no, no, because it's okay as long as you go five over. That is not the law. Some of you right now are like, I just don't understand. I thought I knew what he was talking about, but now I just don't get it. No, no, no. We are like in this, this massive humanity breaking the law. But we get more delight out of someone who seems to be breaking it worse than we are. And so somehow we feel better, because I'm only eight over. Did you shout, now, do you see how messed up this? That's the way we tend to be. Now, if we get back to the text, this is the brilliance of Jesus. I just think he's so amazing. He's When he says to them, well, okay. Well, he didn't say that. He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw basically he is maneuvering the conversation so that they i think all understand we all deserve a speeding ticket does that make sense he's like whoa he says let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw You feel that? I just feel it like I I was there. This focus of attention from being on this woman to he bounces it back to what about us? By the way, it would have only taken one man being without sin and they all could have judged her. He didn't say, you all have to be sinless. He just said, just find one. Just find one among you. I don't think it took very long. They knew, you know, like the Veronica guy, he was out. But I wonder how, I I wonder what that would have been like through the crowd. Maybe they already had stones in their hands to be like, oh, okay, what? The first, the sinless one, just be the first. And to think, oh, okay, we... All right. You know, you start to look around and go, okay, well, who, who's the best one? You know, and, oh, it's, what about, okay, well, not me. And then, it, it, by the way, it goes on to say the older ones first. I think they, there's wisdom with age. Eventually, like really quickly, the older ones just knew Ah, uh, man, we're out. we are a mess because there's nobody in this group. We should all just go home. So here's a fill-in. Jesus' hope was not to instigate violence. He wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, we'll go ahead and judge her. Just find the, find the sinless one to throw the first stone, and then we can go on. Jesus' hope was, was not to instigate violence, but to create some self-reflection. And we're going to finish our time dwelling on the power of being self-aware of our own sin. I have a new thought with this story. I don't think this story is just about Jesus intervening and saving a woman's life. I think it's also about opening the eyes of these judgmental people so that they're aware of their own sin stuff and maybe not just saving the woman's life, but maybe saving this group of men's soul. We don't know how long it was, but it's just four chapters, I think, in the book of John before it starts moving into the crucifixion story. Chances are, all these guys are going to, in days or weeks, maybe it was months, they're going to see Jesus Christ die on the cross for the sin of humanity. And you know what's good news? If you see the Savior of the world, what's one of the best things that can happen to us is we're aware of our own sin So that when we see a Savior, we realize, I need that. that, I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? There is so much power in the revelation of, I am a sinner. I know my story. A bunch of you have heard it a lot. When I became a Christian, uh, came in front of a church, was asked by a gentleman what can, uh, I, apparently you came up for prayer, what can I pray about? I lied to him, I said I'm up here to pray for my parents, because they're kind of a mess. He said, oh, and he was getting ready to pray for my parents, and I said, well, by the way, while I'm up here, maybe you could pray for me. It's the first time in my life I realized I was a mess. I, no, I knew I was a mess, but it's the first time I confessed, do you know what I mean? Like, and that moment where I was aware of my mess set the stage for my salvation. Because then, when I realize I'm in a mess, that means I know I need a Savior. Changed my life. This is just not a fill in the blank, but it'll come up on the screen. People aware of their own sin tend to reach out to a Savior. Another example of this in Luke 5, uh, Jesus is teaching along a beach, and then there's a fisherman there. His name is Peter, and basically Jesus makes this miraculous, miraculous catch of fish that was so amazing that Peter apparently understands, I'm in the presence of a holy man. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, you might think this must be a bad moment because he's feeling guilty. Does that, you know, sometimes we go, oh, gosh, that must have been bad. This is a wonderful moment because when he realizes who he is, it opens the door. Within two verses, Jesus is saying, you know what? You want to come and follow me? And I would argue it's Peter's awareness of his sinfulness that opens the door to Jesus inviting him to be one of the apostles and to change the world. And I want to go on just a little side note here before we wrapped up. This is an important tangent. This is important. Did I say this is important? This is important. You ready? Jesus doesn't say to Peter, oh, Peter, stop beating yourself up. He doesn't say that. He doesn't diminish the fact that Peter says, I am a sinful man. Yeah. And if you want to be helpful to the Holy Spirit and to God, bringing people to Christ, when they are aware of their sin, could we please not or quit diminishing the reality of the conviction of God? when they feel conviction don't say oh it's okay oh you're okay because they're not okay we are not okay we're a mess so when they when they begin to feel guilt or shame or all those things let it happen so that they will they will go i need forgiveness you do need forgiveness because that is an open door into connection with the Savior who will change. Let Jesus bring encouragement. Does that make sense? And I know there's a balance to that, but we're living in a, oh, I just feel a tangent. Yeah. Oh, gee whiz. How much time do we have? 26 seconds. Ah! I'm going to try it. It's Saturday. No, don't say that. How screwed up is our world? On the one hand, we are judgy, judgy, ju- we just gather and judge. We post, you know, everything. We just, it's this, this judgy, 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 right? And so, and on the flip side, we affirm, affirm all kinds of sinful stuff all over the place. What kind of mixed, weird messages are we giving our world? Oh, no, no, you can be in that sin and that sin. And go ahead and be that way sexually. You, you can go ahead and be a liar and be a cheat. Oh, no, you're just great. But, you know, you're just wonderful. So we affirm all this sin. And the flip side, it's like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth or one of those. And the flip side, though, is we just attack anybody as a group. when they're. Do you see that, how whack this is? That's a Bible term. That's how whack this is. We need God. So he can bring clarity. And he needs us to be more like him. Try to be better at this stuff. Couple fill in the blanks. Am I quick to acknowledge my sin? Be quick to acknowledge your sin, folks. It opens a door to the presence and the power of God. Bible verse. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Be quick to acknowledge your sin. It also role models for other people so that they're more apt to say, I guess I have sin too. And the last fill in the blank is, am I being helpful in drawing others to Jesus? Helpful as in sometimes be quiet, in the midst of judgy stuff, try to bring a pause and underscore, like, just to fill in the um, talking points of the night, just to recap, right? Jesus transformed a judgmental moment by utilizing a strategic pause. Let's do that. And underscoring the universalness or whatever of sin. We all have a problem. Jesus is the answer. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer.